0: Family, if you got your Bible open to Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 13. There we are back in Revelation this week. I'm stoked about that. Um, I'm stoked because I've gotten more questions about Revelation in the past three years than I did in all my previous years of ministry combined. Everybody wants to know about Revelation after what we've been through the last three years. So, like at the beginning of the pandemic, I had people ask me, So, is this, is this one of the plagues in Revelation? And then I had people forwarding me like crazy conspiracy theories about chip implants going, is this the mark of the beast from Revelation? I had people uh, like sending me podcasts about political leaders going, is this the Antichrist from Revelation? And so my answer every time was, maybe, I don't know, man, but that's not why the book of Revelation was written. A lot of Christians, I would say most Christians, approach the book of Revelation like it's a crystal ball, like something that if you just use the right words, if you move your hands the right way, you can ask any question you want and it'll tell your future. Here's the problem. The book of Revelation is less like a crystal ball and more like a magic eight ball. You you shake it up and ask a question like, will Jesus come back before I die? Shake it up and... Reply hazy. Try again. Oh, no. You ask another question like, "Will I have to go through the tribulation. Shake it up and ask again later. Really? Okay, last question. Do I accidentally have the mark of the beast already on me? Shake it up and, oh, look, not so good. Oh, man, that's terrible. We, we come to the book of Revelation expecting these answers, but then Revelation is never really clear about the answers. It's just not. That's because it wasn't written to be a crystal ball or even a magic eight ball. It was written to show us the majesty and the power and the glory of Jesus. That's what John said when he gave us the title of the book in the very first verse. In Revelation 1.1, it didn't say this is the revelation of a timeline for the future. It didn't say this is the revelation of a detailed roadmap for world history and for your life. That's not what it said. Revelation 1.1, John said, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ to show his servants what must take place soon. What must take place soon. That would have been soon for the people who first read it 2,000 years ago. And that's going to be soon for all of us who read it throughout church history. Those of us who are reading it right now. And so what that means is, Revelation was primarily written to show you the difference that Jesus makes in your life right now, right now. Yeah, there's some weird things, some strange things, some confusing things, some scary things in this book. You know why that is? Because there's some weird and confusing and scary things in this world right now. We got to deal with them. It will get weirder and scarier as we get closer to the return of Christ, and so that's why we need this book, to help us endure the ups and downs of history. Because like we saw in the first 12 chapters of Revelation, back in the fall, Jesus is the king. That was really clear in the first 12 chapters of Revelation. Jesus is king, and his kingdom is expanding. In legal terms, Jesus is the de jure ruler of this planet. He's he's the, the king of this planet, king of this world by law. And slowly, he is becoming the de facto king of this world. As his influence expands, as the gospel goes forward, Jesus is more and more becoming the king of this world that he legally already is. Here's the problem with that. The prince of this world, the prince of the power of this air, isn't very happy about that. In Revelation 12, John called him the great red dragon, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. We saw in Revelation 12 how the dragon was standing before a woman who was about to give birth, and then when that woman gave birth, the dragon tried to kill the child after he came out. In other words, Satan tried to defeat Jesus from the womb through his life at the cross, but he couldn't. Couldn't kill that child. And so then in Revelation 12, it says the dragon started to attack the woman instead. In other words... Satan started to attack the people of God. That's what's going to be more and more clear starting in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is where we're going to be today. What we're going to see is Satan has a terrible plan for your life. Really terrible. He's going to make life more and more difficult for the followers of Jesus. The world is going to get more and more hostile to the gospel. But no matter what happens in this world, Jesus, the king, the rightful, true king, he's going to help you endure. So let's pray, then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much that as we go through life, some of us are coming in here with incredible weeks of victories and successes, triumphs. Some of us are crawling in here. We've been beat up by the world, we've given in to our flesh and temptation and sin. We've seen more defeat than victory. No matter what side of the equation we're on as we come here today, thank you that we can have confidence that King Jesus has already triumphed over this world, over everything that opposes us, including ourselves, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Thank you that he is coming back to seal his victory. Help us to have confidence in Jesus so that we can endure the craziness of this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Revelation wasn't written to be a crystal ball that will give all the answers to all of our questions about the future. It was written to show you the glory of Jesus and the difference that he makes for life today. It was written to help you endure the trials and difficulties and temptations of life today. Here's the kind of difficulties we have to look forward to. Look at Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. Revelation 13.1 says this, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads. On its horns were 10 crowns, and its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. So this image right here, it's straight out of Daniel chapter seven. We went through Daniel about three or four years ago, and Daniel told us all about these beasts who were going to come up out of the sea there are symbols of all of these worldly empires that were coming. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then every human empire after that. The point that Daniel was making in Daniel 7 was that every human kingdom is a beast. A beast that's used by Satan, like we saw here in Revelation, empowered by Satan to oppose God and his people. Every nation is a beast. Now, if you've read Romans, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that Romans 13 says that every human kingdom is ordained by God. They're God's ministers for our good. What's going on here? Well, God will use every nation to accomplish his plan, even though every human kingdom is a beast. Every earthly nation is opposed to God in some fundamental way. You, you can try and tame the beast, We do that here in America. You can try and come up with new laws and policies and programs to make the beast act less like a beast. That's a good thing. But you can't expect the beast to not be a beast, to stop being a beast. You can't expect that. Every empire, every kingdom, every nation, including ours, is a deformed, corrupted beast compared to God's kingdom. That's the point that Daniel gave us. So look at what this beast is like in verse 3. Verse 3 says, one of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. The beast had its head cut off. Satan and his kingdom, they were defeated at the cross, but he's still running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Did you know there was actually a chicken who was able to live 18 months after his head was cut off? Did you know that? It was in Colorado in the 40s. They they actually gave this chicken a name. They called him Miracle Mike, the headless chicken. He ran around for 18 months after his head was chopped off. Somehow enough of his brain was left on the brain stem to allow him to still run around. The the, the farmer who owned him would use an eyedropper to put food and water down his esophagus every day for 18 months. This chicken ran around without a head. He, He went in the Guinness Book of World Records. He went on a world tour. Miracle Mike, the headless chicken. That's the kind of picture that John is painting of Satan and his kingdom. Just when you think he's dead, he comes back again. Like, in World War II, we fought against nationalism. And then in the Cold War, we fought against communism. In the war against terror, we fought against extremism. And now, in Ukraine, we're back to fighting against nationalism again. It is. It never stops. The beast keeps coming back. Why is that? Because deep down, people love the beast. Keep going in verse 4. It says, they worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Simple math is three and a half years, half of seven. Half the number of completion, which means it's not forever. It's just a short amount of time. The beast won't rule forever. But verse 6, it began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. Remember, this is some kind of government, this is some kind of empire, this is basically every nation, mighty nation that's ever lived. It says even though government is God's ministers for our good, it'll still go against God. Even though it's still under God's authority. Like look at what it says in verse 7. It was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, nation, and language. Permitted. Given. So if the beast wants to wage war against us, God has to permit it. If the beast wants authority over us, God has to give it. The beast has no authority except for what God gives. And Revelation is clear sometimes God will give that authority. Sometimes God permits evil for his good plan and his good purposes. Like Joseph said to his brothers after they sold him into slavery in Egypt, What you meant for evil? God meant for good. God will use every bad thing that happens for the good of his people and for his own glory. Verse eight, keep going. It says, all those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. So, every person who hasn't put their trust in Jesus, the lamb, the lamb who was slaughtered for our sins, Every person who hasn't done that, it it says here that they worship the dragon, whether they know it or not. And and so they oppose God and his people, whether they know it or not. And so that means things are going to get more and more uncomfortable for God's people. Look at verse 9. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. It's talking about us here. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. What's it saying, family? It's saying we're going to go through some stuff. That's what it's saying. And so we're going to need some endurance. We're going to need faithfulness. What do we need to endure? We just saw number one, the temptation to fear worldly powers. To fear, like it said, who's like the beast? Who's able to wage war against it? We we can naturally get this fear that that Satan and his kingdom, they're undefeatable. In all its different forms, it'll seem unstoppable. And so he'll make life really difficult for the followers of Jesus. So family, don't be surprised when suffering and persecution come. Be ready for it. Because the kingdom of Jesus is expanding, and the beast is going to respond violently. And we're going to see both sides of this. We're going to see the advance of Christ and the backlash of Satan. We're going to see the roar of the lion and the reaction of the beast. We're going to see both things happening at once. Like it says in Hebrews 11, look at this. The prophets conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That's the kingdom of God expanding. That's the power of God at work. Sometimes you're going to shut the mouths of lions. Sometimes you're going to receive back the dead through resurrection. But then look at this big left turn that it takes in Hebrews. It says, women received their dead, raised to life again. And then it says, other people were tortured. Oh, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them they wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And when we get to that part, we're like, wait a minute, I like the first part better. Could could we go back to that first slide? I like that a lot better. I want to go back to that. We we look for ways for, for God to shut the mouths of lions in our lives. But here's the thing. What if you're not the one who shuts the mouths of lions? What if you're the one who gets sawn into? Maybe not literally. Maybe metaphorically. Maybe your reputation in the world gets sawn into because of your devotion to Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a relationship that gets sawn into because you love Jesus above all else. We don't want any of that. We fear that. And so we're going to need endurance to overcome our fear of worldly powers. Keep going in verse 11. John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Okay, this beast is trying to look like the lamb, but it's actually more like a dragon. It's saying that there's some kind of religious influence in the world that tries to imitate Jesus, but down deep, it's more like Satan. Verse 12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who is wounded by the sword and yet live. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this is some kind of religious influence that's leading people to put their trust in worldly power. That's the second thing we've got to endure, temptation to trust worldly powers. There's, there's some kind of religious influence in the world that's driving us towards that this temptation to put our hope in the beast, even when we think we're putting our hope in Christ. There's all kinds of ways that Christianity can be twisted to make us trust this world more than we trust Jesus. Like, some people would say they trust in Christ, but they really trust in prosperity. They see Jesus as a way to get rich. And yet, Jesus said we should trust that God will take care of us. He said, hey, God takes care of the birds. Won't he take care of you so much more than that? No, we've got to believe that. But at the same time, it's easy to slide into this place where we try and manipulate God into blessing us in our finances, in our careers, with our kids because of what we do for him. We'll be like, God, if I give you my service, then you owe me success. Try to manipulate him. We're tempted to put our trust in worldly powers like that. Some people say they trust Jesus, but they really trust in politics. They think if we just get the right people into office, then everything will get better. And so they're willing to do whatever it takes to get the person who agrees with them into that office. The ends justify the means. We're tempted to put our trust in worldly power. Family, we're going to need endurance to overcome that because it's not going to get any easier. Look at what the beast is going to do. Verse 16, it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. And we finally got to the verse in Revelation that everybody wants to know about, right? This one that everybody is asking about. What is the 666 referring to? And so people have been doing complex calculations for thousands of years to try and figure out what this number refers to. Here's the thing. If you do enough mathematical gymnastics, you can make 666 apply to almost anyone. You can make it fit Caesar Nero if you translate his name into Hebrew. You can make it hit, fit Adolf Hitler if you transliterate the letters of Mein Kampf into Greek, okay? You do enough gymnastics, you can make, make it fit anybody. Ronald Reagan can fit this number. Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters, six letters, six letters. There you go. And guess what? Did you know that after Ronald Reagan left the White House and moved to Bel-Air, his address was 666? True facts, right there. You didn't know that, now you know it. He actually had his address changed after they moved into the house. The thing is, you can make this number fit almost anything. Here's the problem with that. If John meant for us to do complex calculations and equations and transliterate numbers and letters when we see this number, 666, would be the only number in this book that's like that. Every other number in the book of Revelation is clearly symbolic. 144,000. Is that really the only number of people who will be saved? No. 42 months. Oh, half the number of perfection. Okay, it's imperfect. Seven spirits. Oh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is complete, the number of completion. A thousand years, a really long time. Every other number in Revelation is symbolic. Uh, on top of that, in the original Greek, John didn't say that 666 was the number of a man. Literally in the Greek, it is a number of man. It doesn't even have a. It just says number of man. In other words a number that symbolizes mankind. That's what John's getting at here. 666 represents man opposed to God because the beast seems almost like God. It has power, it has authority, it has influence like God, but it's not God. God is perfect, and the number of perfection is seven, so how are we going to represent the beast? Let's go one less, the number six. Six represents people and institutions that are trying to be like God, that want to be like the power and authority that God has, but they always fall short. And so why three six sixes? Six six six? Because in the ancient world, three was also the number of completion. So three sixes tells us that the beast isn't just incomplete. He is completely incomplete. That's what the three sixes tell us. Perfectly imperfect is what the three sixes tell us. But people keep putting their trust in the beast. So much so that they identify themselves with the beast in an obvious way. John calls it the mark of the beast. And so for centuries, Christians have been trying to figure out what this mark of the beast is all about. What is it? 40 years ago, a lot of Christians thought credit cards were the mark of the beast. Did you know that? If you get a credit card, you're getting the mark of the beast. 20 years ago, Christians started saying, well, we're going to be implanting chips in our hands. That'll be the mark of the beast. Two years ago, a lot of Christians thought the vaccine was the mark of the beast. And so there's some Christians who are like, well, (laughs) what if I already have the mark of the beast? I've got credit cards in my wallet. I got vaccinated, I I have a pacemaker, I have an insulin pump with a chip in it, what what if I accidentally got the mark of the beast? Here's the thing, family, there is no way you can accidentally get the mark of the beast. There's no way. Because John made it really clear in this chapter, you can only get the mark of the beast when you've consciously and willfully decided to worship the beast. It's when you continually reject Jesus so you can worship the powers of this world. You can't just accidentally get the mark of the beast. You can't. But you can be tempted to worship the beast like the people who have that mark. And so here's the third thing we've got to endure. Number three, temptation to worship worldly powers. Temptation to worship. Worldly powers. That was a big temptation for the first century Christians that John was writing to. They were feeling pressure to worship the Roman Caesar as a god. Because if you wanted to sign business contracts or take an oath in court, you had to do it in the name of the god Caesar. And so some of those early Christians, they were worried, they were anxious that they might not make it in life if they didn't give in to that kind of idolatry. And a lot of us have the same kind of concerns. We feel pressure to make success a God. You always got to hustle. We feel pressure to make money a God. Got to chase that bag, and we feel worried, we feel anxious that if we don't, we're not going to make it in life. We're always tempted to worship the powers of this world. We're tempted to act like the people who have the mark of the beast. And John, in Revelation, says, you don't need to do that. You've got the mark of the Lamb. Back in Revelation 7, he told us that Christians have a mark on their foreheads. By the way, this is one reason why I'm so sure that the mark of the beast isn't a physical mark. It's a spiritual mark because Christians have a spiritual mark on us as well. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the mark that we have. The mark of the Lamb. And that's what you're going to need if you're going to endure. So how do we endure all this craziness in life, difficulties in this world, here's number one. Remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong to. You don't have the mark of the beast. You have the mark of the lamb. That's his seal on you that signifies that he owns you. And what does that mean? That means he is obligated to take care of you. He's obligated to protect you. Remember who you belong to. Remember who is taking care of you. And then number two, Remember what you have. You're in the Lamb's book of life. Like I said in verse 8, if you have put your trust in Jesus, your name is written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. Which means you have life to the full in Jesus Christ. Life to the full. So even if you lose everything in life, you've lost nothing. You've got life to the full in Christ. Remember that when life gets tough. Remember that. I mean, God might put you in an office that's really hostile to the gospel, a job site where they mock Christians. God might put you in a family where they keep telling you that you're wasting your time with this Jesus stuff. God might put you in a group of friends where you have to take a stand and refuse to do something that you know is wrong, even though your friends are just going to call you a downer. You might lose all kinds of things. You might lose respect. You might lose opportunities. You might lose friends. But you won't actually be losing anything. You have life to the full in Christ. Remember that. And then, number three, remember who wins. Remember who wins. We got to remember that because we keep trying to tame the beast. We keep trying to kill the beast. And the beast keeps coming back. So it's easy to get discouraged. Easy to feel like the beast is always going to win. He can't be defeated by the sword. He can't be defeated by worldly power. The only thing that can defeat Satan is the sword of the Spirit. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. And who has the sword of the Spirit? We saw in Revelation 1, Jesus has the sword coming from his mouth. The only person in the universe who can defeat Satan, and defeat the beast, is Jesus. And we'll see in a few weeks, in Revelation 20, that one day he will once and for all, Jesus will defeat the beast. Until that day, family, we got some stuff to get through. So how do we do it? How do we endure the difficulties of life and the craziness in this world? Number one, remember who you belong to. If you put your trust in Jesus, you have his mark, his seal. It's a sign that he owns you, which means he's obligated to take care of you and protect you. Number two, Remember what you have. Even if you lose everything in life, you have life to the full in Jesus Christ. You lose everything, you've lost nothing. You have Jesus. Number three, remember who wins. Jesus said in John 16, you will have troubles in this world, but take heart, I have conquered the world. He did that through his death and resurrection at the cross. Jesus endured the cross for you so you can endure whatever this world throws at you. Let's pray together. Father, it's never easy to think about the difficulties that we might face in this world. Persecution, oppression, mocking, violence. It's never easy to think about how we might be sawn into literally or metaphorically. And so that's why we are so grateful for this reminder that we don't have the mark of the beast, we have the mark of the lamb. That if we've put our trust in Jesus as our Savior and our King, that he has put the seal of his Holy Spirit on us to continually remind us that we belong to him. So remind us today, all of us coming here, from all different walks of life, different experiences of this week, remind us that we belong to Jesus. That no matter what happens, it is him who's protecting us. It is him who's providing for us. Remind us that we have life to the full in Jesus. Remind us that no matter what happens in life, Jesus wins in the end. We can have confidence in that. Give us hope. Not in this world, but in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.